Welcome to Diverse Joy. This is a podcast where two so-called experts put the joy back into diversity uh, discussions. My co-host is Dr. Amber Nelson. And my co-host is Dr. Will Cox. So, uh, Amber, (laughs) (laughs) why so-called experts? big part of it for me is um, when we're talking about conversations around diversity, um, I I personally kind of fell into my roles and these spaces around doing diversity training and and, um, conversations. And um, and I'll talk more about that as we talk about our stories and how I got here. But in each space, um, I just kind of expected, oh, at the next level, the, there's going to be experts, right? They're going to yeah. know, they're going to do this really, really well. And I'm going to learn so much more about how to do diversity well, how to do inclusion. And I would get to the next level and I'd get disappointed and think like, <laughs> well, shoot. And then I'd ask a question. They're like, oh, that's a really good question. Why don't you facilitate a conversation around yeah. it? And I'm like, but I'm not an expert, but I can have a conversation. And so I kept expecting that when I got to college, when I got to grad school, when I got to internship and postdoc and, you know, I've trained at really you know, name, places that have really great names. And there have been people that did the work and also that there was still a lot of room to grow. And so why I don't call myself an expert because I don't feel like I have all of the content, <laughs> but I do feel like an expert in having the conversation. And that's the thing that I'm good at. I'm an expert at sitting in the space, facilitating conversation, but I can, don't think I can ever call myself a an uh, an expert on all of the content of what it means to do diversity work and diversity training. Well, and, and one thing that uh, you said in a conversation off mic, you were like, well, I would call you an expert. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, no, but I would call you the right. expert. Like, um, and and I, mm-hmm. I want to echo what, what you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always think of it as, you know, if when you say expert, it sounds right. like it's so like the period, like the end right. of the sentence. And Done. and mm-hmm. with these kind of diversity related topics, topics you know yeah. what it is about? It's about us getting to know one another right. and the many diverse, different kinds of ways of right. being. There are ways of seeing the world. Right. And so like even in the, the bias habit breaking training right. I do, you know, sometimes people want answers. Yeah. And I'm always like, I, what I can't, I can't give you the answers. Right. I can give you tools that yes. help you work on things that help you find answers, help right. you be more open to things, but it's, you know, there's new stuff that that could pop up at any point. So, so we kind of decided our (laughs) tagline is going to be so-called experts experts. putting the joy back into diversity. (laughs) Absolutely. And like I said, you know, a big part of doing this work and doing the trainings is more than more than um, a commitment to all of the content knowledge is a commitment to being a lifelong learner, to staying curious, yeah. to updating the information. And that's one of the things, you know, um, what our first episode, we talked a little bit about bad diversity training. And some of that I have seen is that people that get into diversity work don't necessarily always stay up on the most current information or Mm -hmm. update their training and make sure that they're, it's reflective of what, what the, what the youths are talking about, (laughs) like what's really happening right now. (laughs) And, and that's part of it too, is like making sure that we're staying current, that we're updating, that we're adjusting frameworks to, to what's happening in the world today and not keeping it just because it has worked in the past or it's my, this is my signature and I'm not going to update it. Whereas that's something that you do really, really well is in this training that you've, you've developed over 15 years, like you're constantly updating it and creating new videos and creating new slides and create, bringing in new new podcast, doing new (laughs) podcast, bringing in new research. And that's what makes it, um, you know, the expertise is the staying current and continuing to commit to the, the learning process. Awesome. So yeah, yeah, we're some so-called experts. So-called experts, yes. Um, and, you know, again, we're the so-called experts bringing joy back into these conversations. Yes. So, well, what's bringing you joy? Oh, man. So this is our episode for August. <laughs> and so during this time of year, uh, one of the big things that brings me joy uh, is the Bristol Renaissance Fair. Mm. Uh, so this is a Renaissance so Fair uh, that's here in Wisconsin. And it's an actual like like 
physical small town. It's not like a, uh, tents that, you know, drive from town to town and mm-hmm. set up. Like it, they actually have buildings and a little castle uh. and all this stuff. And, uh, from, from midsummer to, to, to later summer, me and my friends go two or three times and we sometimes dress up or sometimes just, just come as our average selves. <laughs> uh, but we have lots of fun. There's jousting and falconry oh and lots of us just, you know, hanging out in a kind of weird and different environment where, <sighs> You know, it's it's uh, out of getting out of our kind of reality yeah, yeah, cultural yeah, experience. For sure. And you know, some people dress up as like uh, Star Trek people who are you know like exploring, exploring a new, a yeah, new yeah. planet. I love it. Uh, yes. They have a pirate day where everyone oh does gosh, everything a little awesome. more piratey. Yeah. Uh, once I went as uh, dressed as Superman. <laughs> and, love and, that. Uh, Why not? Why not? And there was like a Renaissance <laughs> Superman I got to meet yeah. there. Like. Oh, did so a cool. Superman costume with you know leather and, and armor and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff, and it's just it's just a really joyful fun oh, thing. That uh, sounds like so much yeah. fun. I've always wanted to go to a Ren Fair. I've I've made or bought like Ren Fair costumes several <laughs> times, and I've just never had the chance to like go for one reason or another. So one day I'll go. Maybe I'll yeah. come and visit and go with you. Yeah, all. maybe one of the times that we we do the recording, we can yeah. leave time for that. Yes, and do that. Yeah, that would be amazing. So, amazing. Uh, what's bringing you joy, Amber? Yeah, you know, um, I try to think. There's there's lots of things bringing me joy, but um, fairly recently, um, I had this. We're, we're talking about our identities today, right? Yeah. And um, I had this really great experience with my family where um, my mom just really wanted to spend time with my brother and I and teach us some family recipes. So I'm half Italian. um, My mother is Italian. And she just took the day for us to learn how to cook our Nona's long sauce. So it's a long sauce, uh, uh, spaghetti sauce. Some folks will call it gravy. Um, And you know, but using traditional methods where you hand squish tomatoes and like all of the different ways in which my grandmother made her like most famous like sauce that everybody requested and everybody loved. Um, And it was just such a beautiful time to like sit with my family and connect to our heritage, connect to my ancestors um, and, and have this, this recipe passed down like I'm not necessarily the biggest the biggest cook my brother is he's a fantastic cook I I did not inherit that gene <laughs> but um but to, for us to now have this shared recipe um, I was just about to ask you to cook for us I, um, but maybe we need to ask I'm, your brother I, my brother would be much better at it but I can do this long sauce <laughs> uh, but the long sauce you know it takes all day and it's Ooh. supposed to sit and simmer and just get all like pull Ooh. all the juices and all the flavor out and so and it's just a really really cherished memory memory that I have now and like also this connection and this connect this uh, uh, recipe that I now know how to cook yeah. differently than if I were to have just read the read it written down like Get actually doing it learning. yeah like actually having my mom walk us through and us do that and she taught also taught my sister-in-law too so it was just like a really lovely time and Aww. every time I think about it it just it brings me so much joy so yeah oh that's beautiful um and like i said i you know we're we're today we're really talking about our identities right yeah let's get into it why didn't we just get into it so like do would you like do you want me to start you want go for it okay yeah so like i said i am um i'm half italian um and i'm half black um and i think you know there, there are lots of parts of my, lots of parts of my identity. <laughs> um, I grew up in Southern California. And when I was fairly young, we moved to Southern Oregon, which is a really rural space, um, predominantly white. Um, I was the only person of color, one of the only people of color in my entire school. Um, and uh, so... And then, I, and I grew up with my my mom, who's Italian, right? And my my dad wasn't really in the picture, so I grew up with a single mom. Um, and you know, I said in another podcast, like my mom worked really hard to make sure that we were 
tied to our cultural identity, our racial ethnic identity. Um, she always uh, exposed us to literature, to the community. She wanted to make sure that we understood um, our Black identity, which I think is really special as a biracial person. Um, so yeah, so biracial. Um, so there's there's actually this um, acronym. I'm kind of going jumping all over, but there's this acronym um, developed by Pamela Hayes, and it's called the Addressing Model. Um, A-D-D-R-E-S-S-I-N-G. And it's just an acronym to help like give you some some places to think about what are some identity markers that we that we have. Yeah. So it stands for age, disability, neurodevelopmental disabilities, disability acquired, religion, ethnicity, socioeconomic status or class. Some people will say class, um, sexual orientation, indigenous heritage, national origin, and gender. And so for me, um, I'm in my I'm a millennial, right? I'm a millennial, <laughs> and I, it comes up in so many ways. I even tease my my students like, "Do not call me. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna answer the phone. Like text me. Text <laughs> if you're gonna call me, text me first so I can prepare myself to answer the phone. <laughs> like I'm a millennial to uh, through and through, uh, which also has its connotations around how I understand economics and like everything else. Um, I I'm also have eighty. ADHD, if you can't tell, like <laughs> I, um, it comes out in a variety of ways in which ha- um, I manage my life and how I interact with people, how I tell stories, how I teach. I identify as a Christian um, and I work in a Christian institution. I am in Christian spaces a lot of times. And um, and there are lots of parts of what that means to me as, as a Christian, as, um, a- as somebody who understands themselves to be very progressive, a progressive Christian. Um, so I'm Christian. Um, I'm biracial, but I identify as black um, and uh, black and biracial, really. But I I present myself to the world as a black woman. Right. Yep. Um, and so that also has different things to that. When I was growing up, I didn't know how to identify. And I would ask my mom, like, what? am I? Because I'd get that question all the time. Like, what are you? Right. And, and she's like, baby girl, you can identify as whatever you want to identify as, but you also need to know, um, that the world's going to see you as a black woman. Um, and, uh, you know, she's like, you're just as much Italian as you are black. Like you can identify as Italian if you want to. And I tried it. I tried it. And people didn't accept that. Right. When I go around calling myself Italian, people didn't really accept it. And it took me a while to, to hold on to like, okay, I am biracial and I can identify as a black woman and both, they don't have to be one or the other. Both can exist at the same time. And that was, um, a journey for me. Um, but yeah, so that's my ethnicity. Um, my, I was raised middle class. Um, my mom actually, uh, you know, we had a lot of resources and I'm very blessed by that. I went to private school, my, like my whole upbringing. Um, but I also grew up, my mom was a, a caretaker for adults with developmental disabilities oh. and severe and persistent mental illness. And so um, we, I also had a very interesting, like, family composite because we I grew up with these folks in my home and it changed the ways in which I understand uh, communication and so many different things and and um, my socioeconomic status and and where all of that um, played because we were housing so many ho- housing so many folks in our home um so yeah so there's that my I'm a straight woman um and I'm from the US and not from outside of the US and again I I identify as a cisgender female um so there's so many parts to that right like rural there's biracial there's black there's um I'm and professionally I'm a clinical psychologist right yeah. I and now I'm even though I, sometimes I have a really hard time recognizing that I have like changed socioeconomic class status as like I have a doctorate yeah. right? I have a doc- I have five degrees I have a doctorate like I'm a professional that like my socioeconomic status and my resources has shifted and um, sometimes I have a hard time <laughs> like accepting and remi- reminding myself of that and then I'll say things I'm like oh yeah that's where my pri- oh yep that, that's my that's my privilege that's where it's coming out um, but yeah so that's that's a little bit about 
my background. And you have some similar things as far as like having so many different influences yeah. <laughs> in your background. Yeah. So 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 one joke that I, I threw out at you a little <laughs> while ago, I was like, you know, we're, we're look at how diverse the two of us are. Like right. you're a PsyD, I'm a PhD. Right, right. You know, man, woman, I'm yeah. gay, you're straight, yeah. you're yeah. Christian, I'm I'm atheist. You know, mm-hmm. we kind of the only thing we have in common is we're both white. Both white. Is the joke. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so because she's she's uh uh, biracial, as she mm-hmm. said, and we're both not. Right. So, uh, for those of you who can't see me, those are mm-hmm. your listeners. I'm I'm 100 white appearing, uh, but uh, my family's mixed. So my 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 father's white, um, but my mom is native Hawaiian, Chinese, mm-hmm. and uh, Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Now that's further complicated uh, by the fact <laughs> that I'm adopted. Right. <laughs> so I'm the oldest of five adopted kids, mm-hmm. uh, and j- going basically by looks uh three of us are are white and then i have a brother and a sister who we who are puerto rican descent Mm. and that's my family um now i was my adoption was arranged before i was born so the Mm -hmm. only culture ethnicity i know is is kind of the white american mix on my dad's side and this kind of native hawaiian heritage on my Mm. mom's side so native hawaiian chinese and portuguese but the even the chinese and portuguese uh family was in hawaii uh since the 1850s um and as most people uh at all familiar with hawaii know you know native hawaiians are very much a mix of a lot of cultures from colonizers and and so on, um, but my grandfather actually his percentage of Native Hawaiian was was r- really high, so much so that he qualified for this program that Hawaii had, uh, where if you were Native Hawaiian um, of a certain percentage mm-hmm. and. The whole percentages game is its right. own conversation. That's a, that's a whole other. But that's a but, whole uh, other but he he got a couple of acres of land and a house built on it, which now uh, mm-hmm. my family lives. Uh, some of my family lives there. Uh, my cousins and and aunties. Uh, and uh, yeah, so my Hawaiian uh, ancestors uh, were actually in the Waipio Valley on the Big Islands. But this this brings us to some of the kind of complicatedness mm. of mm. it. So like, am I a person of color is right. a question. Right. Um, yep. You know, as someone who's white appearing, I know anything, if we ever talk about like privilege kinds of things, no right. one ever treats me differently because of the color of my skin. Right. They treat me, they see me as a white person. But I actually have a, a good friend, Chelsea Minamura, who also is from a very mixed race mm. <laughs> uh, kind of family. And she was like, no, you're a person of color. That's yeah. who you are. That's, That's your heritage yeah. yep. is that Hawaiian uh, and, and, and mixed heritage. Yep. What I end up seeing saying if it's I'm expressing this is complicated. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like sure. I will always yeah. acknowledge being white appearing, but right. but I I I am native Hawaiian. That's right. that's a huge part of who I am. Yeah. Um so I mentioned I was adopted. Uh, my my parents were in the military. Um and so I actually grew up all over the world. Right. I was born in Germany. Um and lived a, a few places in Germany. I was I went to first through third grade in Germany. Um, but before college, I'd never lived anywhere in my life more than two years at a time. Wow. So I've lived in Kansas and Florida yeah, and yeah. Texas, yeah. spent a few years living in Korea, wow. uh, South Korea when fifth and sixth grade. Um, and so I, I tend to identify with what, what some people call a third culture kid, For sure. uh, because yep. it's, I'm not just any one U S culture. I'm yeah. not just Hawaiian culture or it's, I have been influenced by so many things. Yeah. And, and that really feeds into what I ended up doing as a profession. Like I right. spent my life seeing that people see the world in so many different so ways, many different ways. even yeah. just in the U S for sure. Like, like uh, Kansas versus Florida versus California, right. you know, people see the world in different ways. And that mm. was always a part of me growing up and my understanding of the world growing yeah. up and interested me. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I mentioned I'm a gay man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you, you talked a little bit about your career path. Yeah. So because I grew up this way, yeah. I, I would see how my siblings would get treated differently based yep. on the color of their skin. Yeah. Um, that's maybe stories that I'll talk about at some point in this podcast, but, my sister's very, very dark skin to the yeah. like. Uh, if we're talking just skin tone, I, she's a bit darker Probably than darker you. Darker than me, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll save the stories, but I saw her get treated differently. Yes. Um, and so race and thinking about these things always was was a part of my life. Mm. Um, and when I got to college, so I've always been very scientifically minded. I yeah. was maybe going to be a chemistry major, mm. like really do yeah. scientific work. That's that excited me. And I took a social psychology class. Yeah. 
And when I learned, wow, there are these people who scientifically study these kind of social issues and, you know, builds theories and experimentally test them and really use data in that way, that just tickled the crap out of me. Yeah, I love Uh, that. I just loved it. And so I went and got my PhD. Mm. Um, And as we've already talked about some, I've done all this work with the bias habit breaking training, Mm -hmm. which seems to really be having a big impact on people's lives, the people who go through it. And so I've kind of devoted my life to that kind of work. And I I now use this uh, term, uh, I call myself a scientist practitioner. Um, So I still do a lot of the hard science experimental work, Mm -hmm. but then also this practice, the going into workplaces, giving this training, using the science to to help people people make progress. And that's also what this podcast is. For sure. And I would identify as a practitioner scientist, right? (laughs) Practitioner scholar that I do. The clinical work first, but I also do the research and I do the clinical research around it that then feeds back into my clinical practice. Our friendship was just meant to be. I know. Right. And professional. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. So interesting. I didn't know the, the, your kind of chemist background and science. I, um, I also was, I was pre-med in, in college and thought that I wanted to do medicine. Um, and during, I got waitlisted for med school. And during that time, I decided I'd get my master's in counseling because I thought, well, if I'm going to do work with people, I should know how to like come alongside them. And when I was in my counseling, um, grab program, I realized like, man, I really like working with people and understanding people. And it was also at that time that I realized I I did a lot of work and research around biracial identity development because, you know, that's the me search of research, right? (laughs) Like the, like, okay, well, this is my lived experience. I don't really see a whole lot of this reflected in the literature. Um, And it was one of those first times that like my faculty was like, you know, this this is this is really good and important work. Um, and I didn't ever think that my lived experience would could be something that would be something that could contribute to the literature base, right? That could help other people. And it's a lot of like what you're talking about. Like I got so excited and geeked out on the like social science pieces of it. Um, And I went, again, I went clinical route, but I still do the research on the back end that then supports models and supports our clinical work moving forward. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, listeners and viewers, uh, now you've learned a little bit about us and our background. Yeah. Um, I think our stories are going to have a little bit more of that when we get to story time. For sure. But first, we are going to take a break. Great. So see you in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so for our outfits today, we wanted to wear stuff that was kind of uh, tapping into our race and culture like we've uh, been talking about. Uh, so I have this shirt that says Raised on Rice, which is mm-hmm. definitely true of uh, <laughs> my whole upbringing uh, mm-hmm. in my house. Just about every meal mm-hmm. uh, had rice. And actually, my mom and grandma sent me uh, a version of this shirt. They sent me one that was like five times too big for me. So for <laughs> had this- to find a version of yeah, it. <laughs> for this podcast, I found a smaller. But it's a tank top, so it can also show off my tattoos, uh, which- are done in a Hawaiian-inspired tribal design. Love so that. they're actually Pokemon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, yeah, they are. But uh, done in a, a tribal Hawaiian tribal-inspired design. And I'm wearing a lava lava, uh, yeah. you know, kind of skirt wrap. That's really um, cool. And Amber was appreciating these uli <laughs> uli that yeah. I have on display in my house, which is where They're we record. Yeah. Uh, growing up, my mom had a pair exactly like this that was always like somewhere in the house, uh, traditional Hawaiian kind of thing. And then I didn't know which pride things I wanted to bring out, but <laughs> this is my native Hawaiian pride flag. It's, uh, it's a flag. So the flag of Hawaii is bla- based on the British flag. Right. Um, and so. Uh, Native Hawaiians people, so, some of us anyway, have mm. adopted this flag as kind of just our Native Pride Native, flag. The re- reclamation flag, right? Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
love that. And yeah, I'm, I'm, my outfit is um, I, well, I'm wearing a head wrap, which I wear head wraps frequently. Um, some of that is due to culture, and I don't like doing my hair. So <laughs> <laughs> wearing my head wrap and being able to connect with my culture as well as not doing my hair is a perfect combination. Um, and then I'm, I'm wearing an African style um, uh, dress and, and Kara um, fabric, and I think it's just beautiful. It's um, I don't know if it has a specific cultural uh, uh, country of origin, but it's by this company called Ray Darton, and they are just it's all of their clothes are African inspired and African um, prints. Um, and so I being being I black identifying and African American, um, I really like to wear things that are part of the African diaspora. And we can talk a little bit more about that because again, I'm not really connected to a specific country, yeah. but um, like black and African um, diaspora experience. So I love wearing African inspired clothing. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, so it's a special treat for you visual viewers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back. Um, and we're actually heading into our story time segment. And like, you know, like we normally do, we kind of have more one story that's maybe a little bit more of a negative story um, um, and then and a positive one. And, and Will, you had a short story um, to share with us that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in our talking about identities and, and things, uh, you know, sometimes our identities, uh, relate to traumas or, right. or sad things in our right. life. Um, and so, uh, I, I, I mentioned at least briefly, I'm a gay man. Yeah. Um, but what I didn't mention when talking about my family is, uh, they're actually, uh, they're Mormon. Mm. Um, and so I was, I was raised Mormon and I, uh, for a while when I was in high school, I was realizing that that wasn't right for me and definitely mm. being, for me, being gay and being Mormon did wasn't not. Wasn't compatible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I, ca I came out to my parents uh, when I was 17 uh, and it really did not go well. Mm. Um, there was lots of yelling and screaming and, and they... Uh, I was still living with them uh, for a few months after I came out. And like at one point they found out that I watched an episode of Will and Grace and then they were <sighs> blaming that for making me gay. And uh, I mean, representation matters, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I it's going to turn it, you gay. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, so, so it was really unpleasant, both uh, due to me not being part of their uh, – Religion and uh, being gay. Mm. And so the, this all kind of came to a head one day after I turned 18. Uh, my dad and I got into a big fight in the car on the way home from, from somewhere. Um, he said something along the lines of, you just love stabbing a knife into me and your mother's oh. heart, don't you? Oh and I, I said to him, don't be dramatic. Yeah. Um, and he pulled the car over, took my backpack out of the back seat and threw it in a ditch and told me to get out. Yeah. And he actually said, that's dramatic. And then drove off and wow. left me there on the side of a freeway. Wow. Um, and so uh kind of became the the gay youth homeless statistic. Wow. Um yeah. Yeah. and and I I was lucky that uh, um I I started a long walk back into town because mm. we kind of kind of lived in a suburb of Tallahassee, Florida where we lived at the time. Um and I uh I found a friend. I, I have a friend who worked at a hotel downtown mm. and they had a business center and I went to the business center and finished an English paper I had due in the class wow, the next wow, day. Wow, wow, yeah. I don't know how I finished it because I was oh understandably upset. Uh, traumatized. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, slept on people's couches. I I was really lucky. Uh, some drag queens actually mm. uh took me in and let me live with them. Um and, and it was rough. It was it was poverty. We were in a yeah. a not great trailer park uh, mm. during that that period of my life. I actually got some uh, skin infections that oh, wow. only pop up in third world countries, allegedly, oh, or wow. developing countries, yeah, excuse yeah, yeah. me. Um, and uh, flushing bacteria. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, but but I got a job. I, I, I worked at Wendy's. Mm. I was also hey. great, lucky that, uh, you know, someone was willing to give me a job and stayed in school, all mm -hmm. that, all that good stuff. And, uh, my parents and I have, have since made up. There's still always mm -hmm. some of that tension in the For background. Sure. Uh, uh, but, you know, I've forgiven them and, and we have a good relationship now. Mm. Um, but so it's a but it's it's still part of my past and yeah. uh, uh, something that. Yeah. 
So, like yeah. we like I said, we always have a negative story. So For that sure. one's maybe and particularly extreme. But yeah, and you yeah. know, we didn't really talk about intersectionality, right? But mm. but when we're talking about our identities, we do have so many different parts of ourselves that intersect and make things, you know, better, worse, <laughs> different spaces and times. And um, man, I'm really sorry that that is part of your story. Um, and uh, as somebody who identifies with the church and Christianity, I think that it's something that like, you know, the church has various sects of <laughs> Christianity and religion has really done a lot of harm. And I'm, I'm really sorry that that was part of your experience and um and that it was has been transformative in your life too and yeah it, it informs my research and what yeah. i do with my life just yeah. like my, my other experiences yeah uh, so so you know so, some positive things and then some yeah. negative things out of it For sure. so you know uh, uh having that uh Poverty in my background, right. you know, definitely uh, leaves its mark in how kind of stable I feel financially, yes. even when I have a, a nice, you know, regular job. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my my sense of community is right. is really important to me. So right. like here in Madison, where I live, right. you know, I've really built a wonderful chosen family of, of people who I can feel safe and connected to that that means the world to me. Yeah. Um, and... And so, yeah, yeah, you know, we all make our way through lives figuring these things out. Absolutely, yeah, and and it's important that we don't, and not to say that you have to, you have to always spin your trauma into something positive, um, but if understanding how whether that's our experiences, our identities, and how that informs how I understand myself today yeah. and how it impacts, again, sense of stability and community and Absolutely. where, how, how it grounds my values too. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that there was a lot about that for you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, was bringing the joy back in. Absolutely. Uh, so you had a positive story that uh, you thought would fit with today's episode. Yeah. And again, centering our, our, our identities and our lived experiences. So, um, like I said, I grew up in rural Oregon. Um, and then I moved from rural Oregon. So it's a little tiny town called Klamath Falls to, um, just outside of Portland into another small town called Newburgh, Oregon, um, where I went to school. And, um, I, I then left and did some time on the East coast in um, Boston and Baltimore, um, for my internship post or for my postdoc and, um, um, I stayed and worked um, out there for a little while. And it was one of the first times when I lived in Baltimore um, that I lived in a predominantly black space. Um, mm. So it was Baltimore is a city that's 60% black. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's from the space where I was like one of the only, if not the only black person and coming into the space and all of a sudden I wasn't the only one. Um, but I also was stepping into while, while the, the social space and the community was predominantly black. The professional space wasn't necessarily predominantly black, and I'll like never the medical establishment. The medical is establishment, white. exactly. There, even there, where even there, yeah. whereas the city is, you know, so influenced by black um, culture and, and black folks that the medical establishments still were not necessarily reflective of the space. Um, and I stepped in, and I'll never forget one of my first black patients when I was in Baltimore, and they said that you know they you know behavioral health psychologist was going to be meeting with them. And I came in and the look on their face and their grandparents' face was just a pure joy. And Aww. I didn't understand it at first. And then they were just like, I didn't recognize, I didn't know that you were going to be our doctor, that you were going to be my doctor. And they didn't, couldn't even necessarily explicitly say because you're black or because you're brown, they just kept like rubbing their skin. Like, I didn't Aww. know that you were going to be this and like just rubbing their hands, rubbing their arm and indicating that you were, that I was, um, a representation of them, that they were going to have a doctor that looked like them, especially a psychologist that looked like them. Um, and it was such a, again, we, we've we've said several times, we'll continue to say several times over that representation matters. And it, rem it matters in every space, not just in our media and our movies, but in our healthcare systems and in the providers that we see that having that 
changes the way that we understand ourselves, where we see ourselves going. Um, You know, one of the people that I work with in um, the nonprofit space, he always says, like, you can't you can't be it if you can't see it. Right. (laughs) And so and like with kids and I work predominantly with kiddos, like them being able to see me as their doctor, um, feeling comfortable, feeling like they can be fully seen is was one of the most um, life changing experiences, I think, for me. Knowing. Yeah. Knowing what it meant for me to have made it here, not just for me, but the pride that my my patient and my the grandmother kept saying like you made it I'm so proud of you like and I was like you don't even know me you're so proud of me like this means so much and um yeah there's just something really meaningful and special about that yeah oh yeah. I I love that that makes me so happy like I'm just <laughs> smiling here I'm like oh must, oh yeah that's amazing yeah. and yeah. I'm glad that you're out there doing that thank too you. thank you doing all that good <laughs> practitioner work yeah the practitioner work yep Awesome. Um, so as always, yes. uh, we have a, a question. That's so question you you today. listening, you know, we're starting off with a battery of questions that were yep. generated by my students. Yep. Uh, but if you are a listener or a viewer, please send your questions in. Uh, if you go to diversejoy.com, you'll be able to, to submit and we hope to, to address some of your questions in future episodes. Uh, but tied in with these topics today, uh, is race a social construct? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's (laughs) such a good question. Um, And and I would say the ways in which we have operationalized it, right, and how how we understand it and use it in particularly our country, um, it is, right? Like, it is a social construct. um, And while there are, you know, ethnic pieces and cultural pieces, but the ways in which we kind of arbitrarily define it as skin color. Yeah. <laughs> right. And define one's race based on that, regardless of cultural heritage, um, is absolutely a social construct. Yeah. Um, and something that um makes it very nuanced um and and difficult to to dis- deconstruct and talk about um and it makes it really hard for multiracial folks yep. <laughs> um <laughs> folks that are that are white appearing right? right um how do i hold on to my identity as i don't know someone who's native hawaiian and multiracial or you know um i have several students that are are half um you know mexican but are white appearing and grew up with their mexican family and people dismiss that part of their heritage and again it yeah. reminds it's 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 indicative that race really is a social construct. It well, doesn't have anything to do with the heritage. Yeah, and, and bring up the Latin American or or Hispanic mm-hmm. uh, ethnicity. Mm-hmm. That's also something that so the U.S. Census has defined race as right. white, black, Asian, Native American, and I think that's it. Uh, and then. Yeah. Uh, there's that separate question we always have on things. Right. Are you Hispanic Latino or not Hispanic Latino? Yeah. And it's because by these older definitions, you know, right. it, they were trying to make race this, <laughs> right. this quantified thing. Right. And then they're like, oh, Hispanic versus not Hispanic is, isn't race. Yeah. It's, it's ethnicity and it's right. separate. Uh, whereas now the way colloquially, colloquially mm-hmm. people see things yeah. like being latin american is is a race being yep. hispanic yep. Uh, you know using uh the ter- terms that people use yeah. in everyday life that is kind of one of the races you're black right. or you're hispanic or you're white right um but then that gets weird in u.s census and other right. kind of official forms that are dictated by the government so that, that's one example of yeah it's a social construct it's kind of made up and arbitrary uh Secondarily, it's changed over time. Yep. So yep. Uh, I don't remember if we said this on the air or off the air, yeah. but uh, Italian people often were not considered white, white back right. in the day. Absolutely. Irish people also, there was a period of time yeah. of that the uh, where – and they're, they're – uh, and and yeah, uh, I I want to get the wording on this exactly right. I yeah. recently saw this this paper from a bunch of geneticists that they were all coming out and saying, you know, by by and large, in the field of genetics, race is not really a useful 
uh, tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the social construct of race doesn't translate down very well to important genetic things that we as geneticists right. study. You know, right. of course, there's a gene that, you know, influences melanin, which influences right. skin color. Right. But this treatment of race being the whole person and right. everything about them, not as useful as other indicators. Um, and so kind of abandoning race and Although lay people often think of race as a very biological thing, right. not so much. Right, exactly. There's this um, book called Cast by Isabella Wilkerson. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've you've read it. It came out um, 2020, like right as the pandemic hit, which was bonkers because there was it was there was a lot of things in it that were just very of the time and of the moment. Um, but she really talks about race in America as caste systems rather than oh. even using race as the construct. Um, and she she looks at it a- across different cultures and, and compares how we use race as more of a caste system than really anything about our ethnicity or our culture. Oh, and that, you know, that what that makes me think of... Uh brown paper bag tests yeah. and blue uh, blood yep. tests. So yeah. if the listeners or viewers don't know what those are, mm-hmm. there were churches in the mm-hmm. South mm-hmm. that would literally hold a brown paper bag up to yep. your skin. If you were darker, you went to the black church. If yep. you were lighter, you went to the white church. Yep. And then the, the blue blood test is whether you can see blue blood vessels through right. someone's skin color. Right. And so this is, again, part of that arbitrary thing. There's yeah. someone who, who could be a... A strong black woman who's light skinned right, that get, by those old tools gets classified as white, white and yeah. just seems this dichotomous thing. It's like, mm-hmm. mm, yeah, no, absolutely. Or even, or even going back to one drop rule too. Like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. If you had any person of color in your background, yeah. no matter how far back you are that. And so again, it goes to like, is that, that's that biological yeah. like thought and um, discounting somebody's like actual heritage and culture and yeah. representation. Yeah. And then it gets, again, in our examples yeah. for me, it gets all mixed up. Cause like, okay, going one drop rule. Well, I'm a person of color. Cause my mom's a person of color. Right. Oh wait, I'm adopted, but, and then in mo- all, yeah. yeah, and in modern discourse around diversity, which mm-hmm. is so much of what we like to talk about, right. and how it's gotten toxic in a lot of ways, right. especially uh, sometimes around discussions of whiteness. Yeah, like anything where I present myself as other than white is by others sometimes per- would be perceived as. Uh, oh, he's not acknowledging his privilege. He's mm-hmm. trying to get away from mm-hmm. white guilt or there, there are right. all these other things. And it's uh, it's never been that for me because right. I've always seen myself this way. Right. But just in modern discussions, it's gotten gotten complex. Absolutely. Well, and again, it's just like you can be white and Native Hawaiian yes. and all of these things. Like they don't have to live in exclusion to the other. Right. I am I am biracial and I have just as much Italian influence as I do black influence. And in some ways I have more Italian influence than I do being raised by by an Italian mother and my Italian family being really, really close to them. Um, And I can identify as a black woman, right? Like having all of that cultural heritage and those ties and being black, I'm biracial and I'm black and they don't have to, I don't have to say, but right. When when we say, but we're like discounting the things before. So I'm not saying like I'm Italian, but I identify as black. I'm, I'm biracial and I identify as a black Yeah. That's where where the, again, just as a joke, we're not really going to make this our tagline, but the idea, (laughs) two white people talking about diversity (laughs) and they're also not white. And people. also not white. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, well, and it's so in thinking about kind of all of what we're just talking about around our multiracial and one drop rule and brown big bag and all of these <laughs> things. Um, what you know, we we do these habit breaking skills and yeah. um I'm wondering what skill do we want to talk about today? Um, all right, awesome. So uh today's skill uh is called impression justification or, or the concept we're learning about is impression justification. Mm. Our skill is learning to identify it so we can disrupt it. Mm. So impression justification, um, what, what this involves. So stereotypes, these biases that we learn, these habits of mind that, uh, we like to talk about, they set up expectations about what other people are going to 
be like. Mm -hmm. uh, in a previous episode, we talked about, you know, it leads people to expect that you're going to be a great gospel singer. Right. Uh, <laughs> they, they expect that a gay man's going to be great at shopping and fashion. Mm -hmm. um, we have these expectations from stereotypes. Right. And one of the things that happens is your brain really likes it when the outside world matches its expectations. Because right. your brain wants to know it's doing a good job of predicting what's happening out there. So when yeah. something matches your expectations, uh, it actually activates your brain's reward system, gives you right. kind of a good gut feeling. You feel right. good about something matching yeah. your expectations. And when something doesn't match your expectations, mm -hmm. it gives you kind of a bad gut feeling. Right. But this can play out in uh, very consequential ways if we're talking about things like hiring or judgments and decisions you have to make about uh, other people. For instance, so let's imagine that we're in charge of a hiring decision mm -hmm. um, for, for a role that, that maybe is very stereotypically male. Right. Um, where traditionally we tend to think of men in that role. Well, if you have a man applying to that male stereotype role, that matches the expectation. It's easy for your brain to process that. Your right. brain likes that expectation match, gives you that good feeling. Right. And so you start off evaluating this male applicant with that good gut feeling and exactly. you interpret everything through that lens right. of thinking positively about him in that role. Then let's say we have a woman who's kind of trying to break into right. a role that hasn't traditionally been filled by women or isn't at least the stereotype expectation. Well, uh, a woman in a male stereotype role kind of doesn't fit uh, mm. for your brain as readily. Your brain has to do a little more thinking and yeah. working at it. And so it gives you a bad gut feeling about yeah. her as an yeah. applicant. Mm. Um, and then you interpret things through that lens. Yeah. And it, it, it can lead to something that we also call reconstructing credentials where they ch you change how you interpret the value of different things mm. that someone might be bringing to the table mm -hmm. because it's through this lens of these gut feelings. Right. So, and this is why it's called impression justification. You yep. get that initial impression and then you kind of look for evidence on the resume if yeah. we're talking about a hiring decision right. like like I am uh, look for things that support that gut feeling right. and what ends up happening is in the end you kind of have built a story around why the man's right for the job right um, and have justified it mm -hmm. and so so we want to start learning about about how that initial impression uh, happens uh, so that we can be aware of it and so we can we can try to disrupt it not let ourselves just kind of jump into something and let our gut feelings kind of drive what we say right. or decide. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, and from a clinical perspective, um, we would call those schemas, right? Oh, like we create absolutely. schemas of understanding. And sometimes those are based in like, um, sometimes they're based in stereotypes. Sometimes they're based in, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, survival mechanisms right and things like that that they can base be based on that and then they get exacerbated and over generalized in certain spaces and so um for instance like snakes are scary right like i might <laughs> build this i might build this schema then it then gets over generalized to like not only are sca snakes scary but they're dangerous and this and so then even if i seeing like a little tiny garden snake right like not harmful or anything like that all of a sudden I am like overgeneralizing it to oh. like this dangerous scary scary thing um or I am creating some sort of um justification for why I was harmful to this little garden snake is because they're dangerous and scary obviously because it's it's a, <laughs> it's a snake therefore justifying that initial justifying impression. that initial impression right ah, yeah. yeah and so we call those like schemas and things that we want to address when we're um sitting with anything and how do I reconstruct schemas that I, we have and adjusting like okay I, again, we, we've talked about this before. Like, I'm having a gut feeling about this. What is that gut feeling? So what is it? Detect, reflect, reject, right? Uh -huh. uh, along with this understanding, these uh, this impression justification piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I'm going to give a little preview of something that we're going to spend more time on later. One way to short circuit this is before you're even in the situation yeah. to think ahead about how you want to make the judgment, mm. how you want to, like what qualities are important for hiring someone yes. yeah. in, in my hiring example I was just doing. Because if ahead of time you've thought it through, then you're not relying on the gut feelings as yes. much. You've said, I'm looking for someone who has four years of internship experience. Point blank period, know, yeah. Um, I'm looking for someone who's published three papers.
offers. Yeah. Wh- whatever the things are that's important for the decision, think it through ahead of time. So then you look for those things rather than kind of getting this, oh, I'm getting an impression. Right. So we'll, t- we'll talk about thinking ahead more when we <laughs> use that as our official skill in mm. one of these episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to give that a little preview. Of that's it. really good too, because the research also shows that we're kind of bad self-evaluators, right? Like we're <laughs> yeah. not good at like actually uh, identifying what do we know and what do we not know and how good are we at those things. Yeah. And so being able to have like a, essentially a, a task list, like I'm looking for X, Y, and Z yeah. point blank and I'm sticking to this, that can really help with us trying to do our own personal evaluations, trusting our gut in those kinds of situations. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so we also like end our segments on something fun, something that's yeah. bringing us joy. That's just a good recommendation for folks to kind of check out. And you have, you have one for us today. I do. Uh, so, uh, I like, I would like to recommend the TV show Superstore. Mm. Um, you can get it on, I'm looking at my producer. Hold on. It's on Hulu right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's on who streaming mm-hmm. on Hulu right mm-hmm. now. Um, and hopefully we'll still be, uh, when this comes out in a few weeks, but, uh, uh, it's a really great show. And some, sometimes what we talk about on here is, you know, a given show centering a particular type of experience right. and, and that being part of, uh, everything you consume media wise, you know, you want diversity and in, in the breadth of what you consume. Right. And a single show doesn't necessarily have to have all the diversity right. in it. This is a show that, that is actually the, like, does. Actually <laughs> does. So, so Superstore has uh, people from all different kinds of racial groups. One, one in particular I want to shout out is there's a character, Sandra, who is mm. a native Hawaiian, which when I first saw her on the show and heard her talking about her heritage, it made yeah. me feel so good because so cool. you never see native Hawaiian no, folks. No, you really don't. Um, and her, she, she reminds me so much of my aunties yeah. uh, and, and Hawaiian family members yeah. and just made me feel good. But, but they have, you know, black folks, disabled folks, mm. gay folks, mm-hmm. Asian folks. Yep. And it, it doesn't come off as forced diversity right which is a term i don't like but right. uh that people use for some things like that because it's like everyone working in this big store like it's supposed to be kind of like a walmart or a target right uh and it's like you can easily imagine yeah there would be a ton of different kinds of people working there um and sometimes you know they have an episode that talks about uh race stuff Mm uh there's a a one storyline that has to do with immigrant related issues but overall it's just a bunch of kind of goofy people being fun having fun and and it just uh brings me joy which yeah. is why we're sharing it, right? It's uh, so good. It's definitely just campy and fun. It's just a fun, lighthearted comedy. Um, but yeah, I agree. It it's it doesn't feel uh, like they're trying to make the diversity things an issue, right? Or a focus of of any of the topics or episodes. It's just more naturalistic. And I think it makes it really special and fun. Yeah. So so definitely check it out. Um, so uh, that's our time. So I'm Dr. William Cox. And I'm Dr. Amber Nelson. And produced by Eric Roman Bining with music by Jay Arner. Diverse Joy is consumable as either an audio-only podcast or a video podcast, both accessible at diversejoy.com. Diverse Joy is the official podcast of Inequity Agents of Change, a nonprofit devoted to the dissemination of evidence-based approaches to reduce bias, create inclusion, promote equity, and enhance diversity. Mm. All that good Jedi work. All the Jedi work. Uh, You can learn more at bias habit.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.